And you know, one thing I want to say about adoption, of all the conflict and stuff we had of yelling when we were teenagers and all of that in my family when I was growing up, the adoption thing never came up. My parents handled that in the most amazing way in that it was no question. There was never an issue. There was never an off comment of you're not my real parents or whatever, because the way we grew up, we knew we were adopted before we understood what adopted meant. Hi, everyone. This is Ross, your host of Bear Crawl with Dads. So true confession, I'm completely leveraging this podcast for personal and selfish reasons. You see, not too long ago, I became a dad for the very first time, but with that, an older dad. So the one thing that I know so far is that this bear crawl as a dad is not meant to be done alone. We truly need each other. So may this podcast be that for you. So come along and let's bear crawl together. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Bear Crawl with Dads podcast. This is Ross, your host, and so thankful that you have tuned in. I am really, really excited about our guest today, and I'm really uh, just honored to have him, Paul. Paul, welcome to the podcast show. Thanks, Ross. It's great to be here. Um, Tell the audience, who are you? And the biggest question is, where are you right now for our conversation? (laughs) (laughs) Um. My name is Paul, and I am a life and executive coach. I've been working location independent since 2008. And uh, back then, there were no digital nomads, but that means that I spent about 10 years total in South America. Most of that was Argentina. And the last almost six years, I've been in Europe. So right now, I'm speaking to you from (laughs) the Rodopi Mountains of Southern Bulgaria, (laughs) <laughs> near the border with Greece in a little tiny village of about 2,500 people. And that's the ultimate drop, Mike. Let's just end our podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is so amazing. Yeah, well, I'm sitting right here in hot, humid Houston. So maybe be jealous of that if you want. I'm to- totally jealous. I was born in that sludge of air quality. <laughs> <either>. <laughs> that sludge. <laughs> no, we're not going to put that in the show notes. All no. love, Houston. <laughs> All the love. So uh, so you are a native Houstonian. I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. Uh, I grew up in the Cypress area. So yeah. if anybody knows uh, Norchester or Cypress Creek High School out that way, that's uh, those are my stomping grounds. A little shout out to you. Okay. Well, I can't really detect a Houston or a Texan accent. So maybe Argentina did that to you or where you are now. Maybe phase that out. Yeah. So be, not- being a global citizen tends to do funny things to your accent. I, I think I, <laughs> I, I still call it the toilet, not the bathroom, right? Like somehow that shift happens and uh, bathroom restroom just doesn't happen. Anymore. I hear you. I hear you. Okay. Okay. Well, Paul, you, you mentioned obviously being a life coach since uh, 2008, correct? Yes. yes. That's correct. Wow. So you have worked with a lot, a lot of people in, in full transparency. Paul, you, I've been working with you the last six or seven months. So I would say part of this podcast, uh, even getting going, so much of the credit has been to you. And, and just the work that you've done with me has been uh, really, really meaningful, just to be full, fully transparent with the audience. So I've been very, very thankful for that. So Paul, as you know, with the show, I became a 
new dad about two years ago. And, and one of the things that came out of this was how can I pick the brains of those that have gone before me playing that role of a dad, you know, and to kind of learn their tricks and their, I don't know, just some, some ideas and goals that they've had and some things that I can glean from that. And um, so obviously that's why I wanted it just to talk to you and just what your experience has been like growing up in Houston and, and also too, just you being a dad and, um, I'm taking notes because I want to learn from you and what maybe what to do and what not to do. So thank you for for having this conversation about the important role of of, of dads. So thank you for that. Thank you. I'm honored. Just to start start our conversation, you just already stated, you know, growing up here in Houston. What, as you look back of your time here, in your dad, what is or was uh, your dad like, and kind of that relationship growing up? Well, my dad. You know, he was he was born in 1939. My grandparents were from Austria, right? So he was, you know, first generation born in the US. He grew up in New York in New Rochelle, which is outside of Manhattan, about 45 minutes by train. New Rochelle. And okay. most people know Westchester County. And they imagine, you know, the, the X-Men school and the golf courses, not that part of Westchester. He actually grew up in the immigrant ghetto part of Westchester. And he had a really rough upbringing. My grandfather was a bartender. Grandmother was a housekeeper uh -huh. uh, for the people that spent the time in the golf course all the time. And so he didn't have his own bedroom. You know, his father stayed up all night playing pinochle with his brothers, you know, drinking. And so, you know, Children were meant to be seen and not heard. If he made noise, you know, snoring on the couch or something, he'd get yelled at or they'd throw things at him to, huh. you know, tell him to turn over. So he had a rough upbringing. A lot of the crowd that he ran around with out of protection, you know, in groups, uh, little gangs, some of them ended up in prison and some of them ended up dead, right? But he had this work ethic that was instilled in him by his, you know, Austrian parents where you know, you just put your head down, and you do the work. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not working, you're making excuses. And so that's what he did. He busted his butt in school, made good grades, ended up getting into the local prep school, worked his way up, got into Fordham, played college football, even played a little bit of semi-pro ball as wow. a defensive tackle, big guy, 6'3". Uh, he was about 290 pounds probably back then as a defensive tackle. And yeah, he did accounting at Fordham, did kind of the, the very straight and narrow, here's what I can study to get a good job. He did the five years of hard accounting work, did his MBA in Syracuse, and then he had a choice to pretty much go wherever he wanted. And because he grew up shoveling snow for himself and all of his relatives, being mm -hmm. a big guy, <laughs> when he was offered either J&J &J in New Jersey or Exxon down in Houston, he's like, you know what? You don't have to shovel rain. I'm going to Houston. Right? <laughs> so, so, uh, so my parents couldn't have kids. Just wasn't happening. Here it was, you know, late 60s, early 70s. My brother's a few years older than I am. So oh. they adopted. They adopted through Catholic Charities. And, and so I was adopted a couple of weeks after my birthday in 1973. And as a dad, I'd say, you know, he definitely wasn't the children should be seen and not heard. Um, but I would say that the best examples that he set were, were much more about the actions he took. It wasn't that there was this open dialogue. It was definitely a top-down 
type of father fatherhood and the way he ran the family. Mm-hmm. But there was also interaction, especially when it came to sports. You know, he made sure that we were in swim team and we were playing soccer and whatever sports we were interested in. He was there and he was involved and we had a basketball hoop on the driveway that we would all, you know, shoot hoops. And of course he was six three, so he'd just throw hooks all day and none <laughs> of us could do anything about it. Or we'd throw around the football, right? And um it was a great upbringing in that, you know, he grew up in this very unsafe environment and he worked hard to create an environment that was safe mm-hmm. for us, mm-hmm. which the irony of that generation, as you may or may not have experienced, but, but sometimes it's, you know, oh, the problem with your kids is you haven't had it hard enough. You're not tough enough. You don't have street smarts. And it's like, wait a minute, isn't, isn't that what you created so that we wouldn't have to, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a little bit of that, but of course, I think that's common between that generation since most of my friends had baby boomer parents and, and I think that was a, a little bit different mentality. But since my father was a little bit older, it was definitely work and you don't have excuses. And if you don't have you know the top grade, it's like, why not? Right? Mm-hmm. While that was effective in many ways, I think that's the only part where I'm like, I never felt like it was good enough that there was always this little bit of being compared to the best math student and the best athlete and the best everything, right? How did that play out with you personally? With me personally, it made me in some ways throw up my arms and just do good enough. I did just good enough in the first, you know, to stay in the first quarter. I didn't work hard in school. Fortunately, I didn't need to. It was pretty easy for me. I, I wasn't challenged. And it also, in other areas, it pushed me to be the top person anywhere I could. I was involved in everything. I ended up being student council president. You know, I was varsity football three years that I, I probably worked my way out of enjoying it. <laughs> And what I mean by that is I had a really good sophomore year on varsity. And you know, Texas, that's a huge thing, right? Being a mm-hmm. sophomore on varsity. So I've heard. And yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I just worked so hard in the off season that I ended up putting on too much mass, right? As a as a mm-hmm. running back. And I wasn't I wasn't quick anymore. Right. The thing that made me good was being light and, and quick. And I put on all this weight and gained all this strength and power and I couldn't turn a corner anymore. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that some of that overworking in certain areas that my father found prestigious, mm-hmm. it actually worked against me because I ended up getting injuries and sidelining myself, trying to be better, trying to be good enough. Right. Right. With your father's upbringing, you know, being the first generation from Austria, and that would it be fair to say, like twofold? Number one, you really developed a strong work ethic, but also two. But then the flip side of that was, but nothing was ever good enough, right? So it was yeah. a little bit of that. That is that fair to say? Like, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, like when it came to an actual job that I was employed in. Mm-hmm. My brother and I both, we we have that. We're all in. We're in this and we're mm-hmm. going to do a good job no matter what. You know, whatever the boss says, we make sure it gets done and it gets done quick and accurate. But but I, 
I guess it got to a point where my extra efforts wouldn't get me the top grade. And yeah, when it came to school, when it came to academics, it, it made me just kind of procrastinate and do just good enough. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. Sure. Um, because no matter what I did, I, I wouldn't be the valedictorian. But also, too, you said that one way that maybe you and your father, and I don't, I don't know about your brother, but your connection was through the sports world. Was that where you guys really connected? Yes. Okay. And a bit in music. My my father played trumpet, and he was drum major in his prep school. And in fact, he played in the bands when he was you know, 14, 15 years old in mm-hmm. nightclubs mm-hmm. to make extra money for the family. So he was a very talented musician, and um, and so I played the French horn. I was quite good through junior high, but then you get to high school and in public schools, you can't do it all, right? I took summer school every year to open up more classes because I'm interested in a lot of stuff. But if you you know if you play football, there's no way you can be in the band. It's it's, it's kind of like you didn't march, so you can't really even be in symphonic band. Right, because you haven't done this, right? Um, so, so we connected in music and we connected in sport, both of them. Yeah. Okay. My high school in New Orleans, you could not only uh, play football, but at halftime, you could run off the field and grab your instrument and go march. So uh, that's how small we were. So you could have you could have had that option. Yeah. So, you know. Well, that's how it was Sorry. for him. You know, he he. Oh yeah, for him he he had that right because okay. his school was small. Yeah. But in, in the big public schools in Houston, it's not a common thing. Not a reality. Well, no. we were having a we were having dinner with some friends last night, and uh, my buddy has two boys. The oldest, very very successful in football, because my friend was very very successful in football at high school. Actually played on the, the Division One level, so they naturally had that connection. You know, watching videos, watching games on the weekend, studying, breaking it down. He coached his son, right? So there was that connection. His middle son, that's that it's always been kind of that awkward. Where do we connect? He didn't really express interest in sports, but my friend has the, thankfully, has the wisdom to say, I'm not going to force him to do football. I'm not going to make him do it, but I'm, I'm trying to find how can I connect with my son? And so he was telling me last night that kind of, he didn't say finally, but through music, his son is really, really gravitating towards gravitating towards the, the guitar. And so my friend is also too a very well accomplished guitar player, never forced it on his son. So it kind of came out organically that his middle son or yeah, the middle son has really expressed interest in guitar. So now lately, they've really been able to connect through that love of music. And so they're going down some fun paths on bands and guitarists. So that's now their connection. So all that to say is, I, I know it sounds like obviously with you and your father, the importance of trying to find that connection, something that we can kind of relate on through music with you and football, you know, with your father, it sounds like that's kind of where y'all really connected well. It can be a bit of a problem when I'm living overseas, though, because, you know, we both watch football on Sundays. And of course, some of the games start too late for me to watch. So I've got NFL Game Pass that I watch games the next morning. And I'll talk to my dad on a Sunday night. Oh, man, you should have caught the end of this game. I was like, I don't want to know what happened. I know you're excited to talk about it, but I haven't seen it yet. That's got to be so hard. Right. Right. For your poor dad. 
<laughs> now, if you were talking Texans football, there's really nothing to talk about, you know. So, I, um, un, un, unfortunately, I am a Texans fan. So when I tell people I'm a life coach and I work with people on practicing acceptance and and having more peace of mind, being a <laughs> Texans fan, I think is uh, is is proof that I am a Zen monk. If yes, I'm still a happy person, right? There you go. <laughs> there you go. You're living it. You're living it. You can really practice that and preach it. That's hilarious, though. Now, again, last question about your father, and then we'll, I want to kind of zoom in on you and Paul as a dad. But was there any words of advice or I know you said, again, maybe his work ethic. So he watching, watching that, maybe not the words that he said, but watching that work ethic. But was there anything, though, that your dad said that rings true still to you or that maybe that you've passed on, you know, in your family? I think there's a couple things that he said, this, this might sound funny, he was a CPA and then a financial analyst. I think it's an important lesson because of where society is right now. And one of the things he always said is you never save money by spending it. So people will be like, man, look, I got this, it's 50% off. It's like, mm-hmm. well, you didn't save money. Meaning you still spent You just money. spent money. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so that's one of the things that you know stuck with me is the way that he looked at money and and yeah maybe he had a little more extreme scarcity view because of how he he grew up and he, he'll still clip coupons he'll still drive you know an extra couple miles to get bananas on sale at fiesta right <laughs> and he doesn't have to but it's just part of him right yeah, yeah. but i'd say more than anything it's what i observed and his work ethic and he was offered at one point in the company he worked in where there's a point in your career where some of these big companies they challenge you and they say hey we need you to do this and they're they know they're asking unreasonable uh request but it's a test to see if you really want to go up to the next level or not Mm -hmm. and he knew that and he said no he said no he had a very good successful career but he decided he said it's not worth my going to the next level and not coming home when i want to come home so was he a warm and very open always asking these open-ended questions no but by his example he took some actions and he was there to the best that he knew how mm-hmm. and and he made decisions like that that really made a difference and and you know and he always did the right thing he always mm-hmm. did the honest thing what so yeah, he's he's definitely one of those people that it's like that pulled himself up by his bootstraps and did it in the right way and was always honest. You know, he kind of has that mythical figure of that person that pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. What a testimony! What a that's awesome. It's almost like that was the the, the quote: uh, "To know thyself is the beginning of wisdom." So it sounds like he re- kind of really knew himself i guess when you you mentioned that reference about he had the opportunity to take a, a promotion but he knew himself he right and no it's gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna sacrifice family time or so it's such a testimony to him okay i did say that was my last question but i lied um i'm curious were there any traditions any neat family things that y'all did rituals whether that's a, a family trip every year or around Christmas time. We always drove around, looked at lights. Is, is, is anything that y'all did as a family? 
Yeah, he was big on the Griswold family vacation. (laughs) We literally had the station wagon, right? The wood panel? Yes, actually, it was an Oldsmobile. It was wood panel. There was a green one with wood panel, and then he upgraded to a newer model of a tan one with wood panel. (laughs) So, yes, and, and and the tan one had the cruise control button in the middle of the thing next to the radio. That's a whole nother level. Yeah, that's like crazy, right? And he was he was really big on Christmas because he grew up so poor. Mm. Like to him, like Christmas was everything and he really went all out, but he would never give us everything we asked for. He would oh. always leave something off that we really wanted. And that was Purpose. intentional. Intentional. Yeah. That was intentional. He, <laughs> he didn't want us to feel like everything was always free or or everything you know life gives you everything he was very intentional about making it a great christmas but leaving something off Mm, that's really neat because it's like again first generation you like you said grew up really really poor to have worked his tail off to basically a self-made man and to walk that line of i want to give my kids everything because i didn't but yet to still have that restraint yeah to not truly give the, everything is there's so much wisdom in that he was also pretty strict about dinner together you know like mm. everything else we do you know we're we're around we're doing our things but we sit down together and that was looking back it's huge and even today translating to our family the family i have now it's yeah i i, I like to hold that sacred you know i because i have a time difference i could work more hours during that time right mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but but no I, I want maybe not every night but there's a few nights where it's like there's no tv there's no anything it's just us paul i'm so glad you brought that up because i feel like i don't know that's a whole nother podcast show about the power of the dinner table you know yeah uh, but it's but several, several people have mentioned that and i love that you brought that up in the sense that your dad was so committed to that um because i think having dinner together as a family with where there's no distractions of the phone or the tv is powerful especially maybe again i can't really say this yet because my kids aren't in high school but when your children are at that eight dri- driving age of driving and sports and weekend things and friends if there's one thing that we can tether our family to it's no we are going to be committed to that dinner table to have conversations to look each other in the eye and i love that and it, i was yeah we're going to get down there where what have you taken and infused into your family and it sounds like that's that's one thing that you've you've held on so Christmas, obviously, with your father and the Griswolds and the, the car that's amazing, and then the power of that dinner table. So thank you for sharing that. Now, now transitioning to you, Paul, you know, as a dad, uh, tell us with your family, do you have any children? Well, I have an interesting dad story because um, I had my first marriage. We, we didn't have children. And... I went off to Europe to travel with my dog with no intention of getting remarried mm-hmm. until I met somebody else who had no intention of getting remarried. <laughs> and it was too good. And she had a six year old mm. and um, I became a stepfather. And so it was one of those things where I wasn't looking for it. I, I wouldn't say I'm that guy that was always with little kids. Oh, hey, come here, you know, give me a hug. And, you know, I, <laughs> And let's wrestle, you know, I, I wasn't that guy, 
really, kids were always a little awkward for me. It, and, and so I just went, well, if, if being a dad doesn't happen in this lifetime, it doesn't happen. And then when this came along, it was, I don't know, man. Uh, it's hard to put into words, but I guess the word would be magical. Mm. It, it just, it was as if we were always together. It, it oh. was as if this kid and I always knew each other. And it was, you know, one of our hikes, it's one of the ways my wife and I got to know each other is we love hiking in, in the mountains. And I was in Bulgaria and uh, that's where she's from originally. And we were in the Rodopis and we were going to this really beautiful place uh, called Belintash. And he and I were walking and he just held my hand and we didn't know each other very well yet, but it just felt normal. It felt natural. And it's just, I don't know, it's hard to describe. It, it's, it's like there was no transition period. There was no, okay, what's this going to be like? It was like, this is, period. So it was like maybe confirmation that that hand, the holding, maybe just as, as obviously y'all, you were in the dating phase, whatever, but maybe just some confirmation that uh, this is right. This is, yeah, it's, it's meant to be. Maybe because I think I don't know about your experience, but I'm walking the same shoes as you, not in Bulgaria, but with my wife. Just for for me, I have all, had always been single forever and worked with kids, working in a school environment. Always thought that I would be a father, uh, but it just wasn't happening. Um, and then obviously, when I met my wife dating with her daughter, but it just you know because not, not only are you dating your girlfriend, but there's there's another special person, right? That that is is that package deal. So you have to kind of make sure that all works. Right. And, and so, so I'm kind of right there with you, just the, just that whole dynamic, but just to hear that he held your hand and just kind of giving that affirmation possibly. That's really, really neat. It's been amazing. I guess I, I expected there almost to be some kind of transition period and getting used to it, but no, it was just natural. That's weird. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So when you were when you met your wife, he was six. Yeah. And how old is he now? He's twelve. Twelve. Okay. So yeah. what's that been like uh, now that, uh, as far as when y'all got married and your son now? How has it been as a as a dad for you over these last six years? It's been incredible, and I really, in some ways, I think I really have it easy. I mean. First off, I skipped the whole diaper stage, right? So I didn't have to do any of that. <laughs> yes. Um, but but the other thing is he's just he's just such a good kid in that he studies and he you know he, he's a better student than I am or my wife, right? Um, <laughs> and he wants to do good. He gets the top grades. He's easy in that respect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know when when it comes to even things like screen time or or sweet things or candy. It's like he he sees what's around him and he sees how other kids don't handle themselves. And he's like, oh, I'm not gonna be like that. And wow. he's so it like he's self-regulating. He's I've been on the PlayStation too long. And of course the PlayStation was a reward for all of his hard work and his good grades. But he'll be like, nope, it's time for a break. And of course, if he wasn't taking a break, we were gonna be like Hey, you know what? If you're on there for this amount of time, but but he on his own, he's like, no, no, I've done too much of that today. 
so so in some ways i feel like <laughs> i've gotten probably the sweetest deal ever <laughs> being a father where he's just yeah, i don't know he's just super cool well I, audience I think, you know because his stepdad is a life coach so <laughs> Well, well, the other part of it is the other part of it is, though, is that I'm not able to connect the way my dad and I connected with sports. You know, I mean, he likes to play soccer and things, but I wouldn't call him a, you know, a really athletic kid, which is fine. It's so funny what you think in the past of what things will be like. And then when you're there and how different it is, it's so easy to connect with him in the ways that he's excited to connect. Right. So we connect through languages. Right. I speak a bit of German and I'm fluent in Spanish. And we connect kind of on an academic level of things that we're interested in. And it's amazing. He's got a curious mind and so do I. And so we get to kind of do that together, exploring different topics. So that's that, y'all's you know, yeah, yeah, that's y'all's connection. And you mentioned hiking. Uh, does he have a love for for that in oh, the outdoors? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And and he can hike further than probably any kid in his class, right? So, you know, when it comes to sports, maybe not, but that you know, we'll go on a 10-mile hike and he's good to go. Like he's fine. He's not complaining or anything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he can hike some crazy distance <laughs> with, without complaining. <laughs> oh my gosh. So that's that's amazing. That's amazing. What has been made the greatest challenge? And vice versa, what's been the greatest challenge, but also to what's been the greatest reward over these last six years? You know, the greatest challenge in the beginning, it was more about me and it didn't last very long. It, it's something my wife told me. She basically said, you don't have to be anything extra than who you are. For me, that was huge when we were organizing our life in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, wait, now I have this responsibility. I need to be super dad. <laughs> and, and my wife sensed that right away. And she's like, just be this person that I know. That's all you have to be, huh. you know? And so I think part of it was, I think a lot of us, we get caught up in the different roles we have in our life. We put on that costume for that role <laughs> that we have to be a certain something extra than what we are. And really, if we're just ourselves in all those roles, it's more than enough. Just being authentic. Yeah. What words of wisdom from your wife? Yeah. That's really life-giving. No, she's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's good for me to hear. I think that's good maybe for anybody in the audience to hear. Just be authentic. Be you, you know? Yeah, we live, like you said, they put on the cape or we, we're living behind some facade because we have to be this way. But I think maybe for your kids and for yours, it's just, yeah, just be present. Just be in the moment and be you so no thank you for that but on the flip side of that what would be just the greatest joy or you know it's again i think these things are hard to put in words sometimes but i may have mentioned to you that a couple of years ago i officially adopted him um mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. in bulgaria they have this legal structure where it's called a partial adoption where now my name is actually on his birth certificate mm. and by law, he has to take my name, not just my last name. His middle name is my first name. Oh. That's the way it is in Bulgaria. So if, we, it, if it wasn't his middle name, they, they would legally, in that culture, the dad's name is automatically the middle name? Yes. Okay. Like my, like my wife's second name 
is her middle name is Bobeva and her father's name is Bobby. Interesting. So even even hers is the father's name has to go as your middle name. That's the way it is. And and it's one of those funny things where in the beginning I was like, oh, it's a cultural thing. It's not a big deal. But then when I saw that his name, <laughs> you know, and I see his birth certificate and his passport and his ID has my name there. I don't know. There was something there where forget all the stuff about the patriarchy and all of that kind of thing, just for a second. And it just, I don't know. I love that I'm so much a part of his life that even my name is there. I don't know. It hit me in a way that I didn't expect, that Mm -hmm. I thought that having studied anthropology in different cultures and different religions, you know, those things don't matter to me, but it matters. It feels good. I love that we're connected Mm -hmm. in that way. Yeah, this is so powerful. It also uh, maybe it raises the stakes to see your name of wow, just the weight like of a, that. The legacy, right? It's like legacy, this is right? Real legacy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Changed potentially the the trajectory of his life too. Yeah, that's that's powerful. Back to your dad, real quick, because you mentioned it, and I don't, but the fact that he the adoption part, just the power of that. And also, too, that your father adopted you, and that says something about your mom and your dad, their heart, that they went through some really some tough spots in their in their personal lives of not maybe the grieving process of not able to really have a child of their own. That says so much about their hearts of wanting to raise children and that they adopted you and your brother. So... Um, and all the things too that you were talking about your father, that was all through the lens of of adopted boys and all that done from a place of even though there you weren't blood, but just all that done through the love of adoption and how huge that is. And then now you adopting your son. I just that I just want to I would, if we got off this into this podcast, and I would reflect that we didn't highlight that, I would have been kicking myself. Uh, oh, just- and, and and he loves it too. It's it's like now he's adopted too, right? And so mm-hmm. he thinks it's super cool, and I think it's super cool. It is, and and you know, one thing I want to say about adoption of all the conflict and stuff we had of yelling when we were teenagers and all of that in my family when I was growing up, the adoption thing never came up. My parents handled that in the most amazing way in that it was no question. There was never an issue. There was never an off comment of, you're not my real parents or whatever, because the way we grew up, we knew we were adopted before we understood what adopted meant. Mm. And Growing up, when I met other adoptees that found out when they were 12 or 14 years old, they were adopted, they had all kinds of identity issues, and it was a big mess in their family. And they would tell me in confidence, very quietly, hey, guess what? I'm, I'm adopted too. Shh, don't tell anybody. If it's done wrong, meaning you wait till they're old enough to tell them they're adopted when they could know. It's wrong. When I studied psychology later on, I looked into this. Mm-hmm. Kids need to know as early as possible that they're adopted, like as early as possible. And, you know, even before they understand what it means. Of all the issues you might have in your family, identity won't be one of them. 
This is good. And I think this needs to really, really be highlighted and, and heard. So thank you for bringing that up because who knows in the audience to have been adopted or thinking about adoption. Um, but I think that's huge. And I'm glad you brought that up. I remember when I worked at uh, a school back in 2001, 2004, we had a lot of uh, students who were adopted and the school went through middle school. So a lot of my students that were in middle school who were adopted, there tended to be, I would start to see, and you identify this, that they were starting to go through a little bit of that identity crisis. They would throw it a little bit back on their parents to say, well, you're not my real parents. So who yeah. are you to sit there and say that I have to do this? And there was guilt on those parents. And I felt like a lot of times those parents were really struggling. Well, I don't want to be too hard on my kid because they're going to push that back in my face. Maybe some self-doubt that I'm really, you're right. I'm really not your real parent. So maybe who am I to really assert some strong, like you got to be in by 10 o'clock. So there's a lot of just awkward tension on both sides. Yeah. And maybe what you're saying is the earlier, the better. And from the studies that you've seen, that rings true. Told early is it's not an issue. It doesn't come up as an issue. Yeah. That, so they told you at a young age. Oh, I, I don't I don't remember not knowing. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. I think that could hopefully be a blessing to a lot of people that are listening too. Gosh, there's so much beauty in, in the adoption process and friends that have done it and you and your son. And But I think that's such a good good insight. You know, the earlier, the better. One thing that with your family, obviously the Christmas, the sitting at the table, but what have you carried over in your family? Um, any traditions or something that you do as a family? Uh, you may, you might've alluded to the whole, the dinner table, but yes. Okay. Is that true? And then what are some other things that you guys do? You know, the, the quality time that we're able to, to do since since I work from home and I've had an online business and my wife does too. My wife and I get a good two hours of walking in the mountains with our dogs every day. <laughs> On the weekend, it's the three of us. Mm. So, you know, phones are at home mm -hmm. and we're just walking together. We, in fact, we did it right before this call. So that's one that we created because mm -hmm. we we don't have this life where both of us are going to work and we're outside the house and all that. So, you know, we definitely created some of our own, but I'd say the, the one carryover is, is the dinner and traveling, right? We don't have a station wagon, mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but traveling is, it's a big deal for, for us. You know, I, I, for me, it's a big deal. I want my kid to have that experience that I had where, you know, yeah, most years we drove to Florida or Colorado, which was amazing, mm -hmm. from Houston, <laughs> long drive. Mm -hmm. But we also got to Europe when I was 13 years old. And we went to Hawaii. And we, you know, we got to go to some of these other places. And I want my kid to have all of those experiences mm -hmm. as much as we possibly can. And the fact that we're living in Europe, everything's close. You know, it's like taking Southwest Airlines, you know, to go to a completely different country and culture and experience. And so every Christmas, we've actually taken that time of having a break from school to go to a new country and to experience it as best as we can in 10 days. So every Christmas, so, okay, dinner table, the hiking, you know, leaving the phones at home, 
but also to every Christmas you go to a different country that yeah okay okay and we and we don't run around we typically stay in one place and really get to know it you know Mm -hmm. um of of what what it's like to live in that place Mm -hmm. maybe we do a local food tour or live in an apartment that's a local apartment you know airbnb and not hotels that's awesome so so it gives us a taste of the local neighborhoods and all of that And, and that's how my wife and i love to travel and for me, that's the greatest gift I can give my son that maybe not everybody would mm-hmm. is, is those types of experiences. Well, just open up his mind, open up his world, yes. appreciating just the beautiful tapestry of differences, you know, that are out there. And that's going to set him up for interpersonal relations, just knowing, yeah, just appreciating the differences. And that's an amazing gift to give him. What would you say, Paul, what, um, now that you're six years in as a father and looking back and what would you tell your dad now, now that you're a dad? The first thing I would say, and, and I have had this conversation is thank you. You did the best you could, by the way, he's still alive. (laughs) And I have told him, (laughs) I see Mm. how, how much you did and how hard you tried. Right. That's probably the biggest thing. The other thing is I'm really grateful for the the values that he instilled in me that are easy for me to pass on. That he's such a big part of who I've become Uh that there's parts of me that I am that I'm very proud of that are a direct result of being around him. Uh Right. Uh And so he's made my job as a dad easy. I haven't heard that yet. I like that. It's almost like a, a template. Yeah. That was kind of created to some degree and it's helped your parenting easier. And of course there's, there's gaps. Everybody feels like there's gaps where they want to do better than their parents did. And sometimes that's an overcorrection and it's not a good thing. Right. Mm-hmm. I try to be very balanced in that. Okay, here's the things I didn't get from my father that I've learned along the way that I want to make sure my kid has. Like I mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, asking the open-ended question, really being interested, really giving my kid space to talk mm-hmm. about things mm-hmm. where I didn't get much of that because between my brother and my dad, the table conversation was kind of dominated. <laughs> if, if you can believe that I'm the quiet one of the family, that's the truth. <laughs> oh now that blows my mind. <laughs> Creating a safe space where he always feels comfortable to come to me. That's the only thing I feel like I'm adding as extra, you know, real presence where my brother and I definitely didn't have a safe space if we emotionally needed something my -hmm. family was not the place for that Mm -hmm. i was in fact i wasn't the place for that for my brother and he wasn't that place for me because we learned in our family that that's not part of the function of family is really being there when somebody needs emotional what was that place for you it was friends um it was friends moms it was (laughs) it was it was other places i found other places um, yep. for, fortunately for me, my 
escape was getting out and, and finding other models and finding other people when I didn't feel like there was a safe space for me to speak. Mm-hmm. I found, I found it. My brother went the other way. He went into books and into his room and into himself. And that turned out to not be healthy. Well, and it's, it's, it's easy now that, you know, you can't truly appreciate in this case, in our conversation, parenting until you're actually in it, doing it right. And then reflecting back and giving your parents some grace to say they were exactly in the shoes that I am in now, and they were doing the best that they could. The yes, they could with what they Absolutely. were given at that time, you know, but, but obviously when you're in middle school and you're naturally just that angst with your parents or whatever in college and, you know, you're in your young twenties, you, why would you, I guess, entertain that thought to some degree? So the fact that you told your dad that I think is really powerful to be able to go back in humility and, you know, just say, Hey, thank you, you know, and, and how maybe parents, I don't know, maybe need to hear that. The single thing I think everybody who hasn't had the conversation with their parents has to have is simply, you did the best you could. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I see that you did the best you could. So you're not saying you're the best parent or I'm so grateful because maybe you're not, but everybody's doing the best they can all the time. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, you're going to have a whole new conversation with that parent. Because maybe it, it takes that a burden or something off their shoulders or a, a, I don't know, as a parent that's had children that are grown now, you know, if parents, if there's some sort of like, well, we tried, you know, sorry, you know, but to be able to hear that from your child, maybe again, I'm not. Well, I'd say the first quarter of everybody's life, you know, we make our own choices and when things don't work out, we blame our parents. <laughs> right. That's what we're supposed to do. So, so, right? And, <laughs> and so then so to come back around and say, you know what? You did the best you could. I get that. You know, I, I think that's huge. I think it is, Paul. And, and again, I'm glad you brought that up and I'm glad you said that. Number one to your dad, but hopefully to the audience as well. Um, and it's good for me to hear. I don't know if I've officially told my parents that. And if I haven't, I will. Because I know they're going to be listening to this. But also, too, you know, with my parents having, I have two older siblings, but three, you know, and I have the one son, but just, oh my gosh, the, the sleepless nights, the diaper changing, the running around to do all this stuff. Your, your mind does shift completely to be more empathetic to like, wow, you know, and that was pre the cell phones and getting Uber Eats or DoorDash or something like that. So that's really cool. So what would you say do you see as the biggest challenges facing dads? Not just you, but what would you say is the biggest challenge facing dads today? And it, and it could be parents for sure, but, but I guess specifically dads and all the people that you come across. I think there's two big ones. One is the obvious role switch where both men and women are working. That's a reality for most people and most people in the developing world. And in the 1950s, it was pretty simple. The man worked and the woman took care of the house, right? Now, it's not an even playing field, first of all, because still most of those tasks still fall on women's shoulders or home and parenting, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what's enough and finding that and finding that balance. And, and I think that's 
a challenge more with your spouse than anybody of, okay, there's only a certain amount of time in a day and, and how do we divide things and what does that look like? And both of us having a career and doing the best we can for our kids. Right? Mm-hmm. So there's pressure there. And the other big one is technology. And you've probably had this conversation a few times, but I think the way specifically social media is affecting everybody, not just inside our families, it's more than our society knows how to handle yet. It's more than individually in our evolution. It's it's like a whole bunch of new stuff that's infiltrating our daily life. And that influence is big. And so the question is not how much or limiting or whatever, but what kind, what kind of interactions should happen on social media and technology. And the way I try to convey it to my son is technology is an amazing tool, but it's not a replacement for any part of your life. And so if, if you use social media to say, Hey guys, let's go meet up at the soccer field. That's really good use of social media. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) But getting sucked into the feeds and scrolling, that's not good use. But of course it happens to me too, right? I mean, today I, I did a little bit of work on my website. Oh, well, I should probably get this LinkedIn review and put it on my website. And I get on LinkedIn and half an hour later, I'm like, what was I here for? And I read all kinds of articles and Harvard Business Review that were interesting, but I didn't actually get to the thing that I was supposed to have done that would have taken me literally four minutes to do. Uh I got distracted. So not getting distracted and keeping your time sacred for the things that matter, I think, where, where we put our attention. If time is the limiting thing in our life that is finite, then our attention is its currency. And so where we put our attention is absolutely the most important thing. Yeah, I think you would do the key word too out of all that, Paul, too, is is balance, you know, um, finding that balance. But but also too, like what you're telling your son, using technology, is it replacing something? Is it filling a void? You know, are you avoiding something? But maybe setting those parameters, setting that, again, that balance. But even as a family too, or if you're a single parent out there, you know, even more double blessings to you. With wow. the amount of, I, I don't even know how they do it. I don't. I really <laughs> don't, Paul. My heart. Oh, my gosh. I mean, as far as going out to single parents, what a calling. I mean, and, and my wife is my hero in so many ways. Just how many years that she parented so well. Obviously, she has some extended family to help her out, but the weight of the world, you know, but all that to say is just really saying as a family, we are staking a flag on the ground to say time together as a family is sacred. Nothing, nothing is going to interrupt that, you know, there's something on a daily basis that creates that togetherness. We're all, yes, the, I'm glad you brought that up too. With more and more double income families, both parents are working. If there are or spouses or partners are working. And that, just the busyness of that, but we have to carve out time of being intentional, of being together as a family. And then with that social media to set those parameters up 
and you don't know what you don't know as far as what with technology and social media because tomorrow is going to look different from today and yeah the, the assault on our children's attention you know through yes. those devices so with your Sunday and 12 is there anything I'm, I'm curious because you also too with your studies with different cultures and different religions out there but is there anything that you and your wife are thinking like a rite of passage for him whether that's turning 13 or 18 is there anything that y'all are kicking around for him that's a great question i want for my son what my dad did mm. and what my dad did for both my brother and i mm -hmm. when we were 15 he sent us on outward bound Ooh, you two had weeks. me at outward yeah right <laughs> so it was two weeks in this case for my brother and i it was two weeks on the green river in utah we went through gray and desolation canyons we learned desert survival we learned how to captain rafts we learned a bit about rock climbing um and for me it changed everything wow. it's like i was this insecure you know middle schooler and i don't know what the moment was i don't know what it was that changed exactly but i came back from that and and I found myself introducing myself to people I didn't know. I was like, whoa, what's happening? So, so somewhere it, there was a switch that was flipped by that experience. And so we're already planning on that, you know, putting money aside and all of that for when he's 15 to do that in Oregon because the, the, the trips have changed. And uh, yeah, I want that for him. It was such a big part of my upbringing. Mm-hmm. And such mm -hmm. an important, I guess, switch where I went from a insecure to confident in a very short period of time. Wow, I love that. So, okay, so at fifteen, outward bound for him. Yep, that's huge, man. And I'm 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 glad I asked because because <laughs> that's uh, you know, I don't know if I've I've told you, but when I worked at my first school back in 2001 and we got a grant and they sent me to Knowles, you know, the national outdoor leadership school, nice. which is kind of like a yeah. sister to, to outward bound. And yeah. so here, here I am taking a puddle jumper into Lander, Wyoming, and I'm surrounded on this little puddle jumper with college kids and high school kids. I'm like, what? They're like, Oh yeah, we get college credit, high school credit for this. I'm like, are you serious? You know? And, and I just, I was around like 30, but I just remember being so Bitter because I was like, ah, you know, that they're getting to go at such a young age and to go out into the wilds of, you know, Wyoming. So it, it for me too, as an adult, it was a, a game changer for me. So I love that legacy that your dad started with you and your brother and now with your son with that one. Yeah. So that's incredible. Well, awesome. And I can't wait to see what that's going to be like for him. Yeah, me too. You know? I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I think while he's there, my, my wife and I will probably do an Alaskan cruise or something because we'll be up that way, but <laughs> he'll, he'll be bummed that he missed that. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> um, that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, Paul, is there anything else that, uh, that I'm not asking or that you want to share, you know, with the audience just about this crazy role of, of, of a dad? I think the only thing is, you know, when you're a dad, all kinds of people are going to give you all kinds of advice, but you actually don't know if they did a good job until 30 years from now. Mm -hmm. So 
<laughs> so just chill out and do the best you can and be you. And that's it, man. Can we put that on a shirt? Chill out. Yeah, right? We should. <laughs> chill out and be you. <laughs> because that's what they're going to take in. Your kids are going to take in who you really are and where you really put your time and attention and, and your actions, regardless of what you say. It's not about what you say. It's not. It's about who you are. So if you don't like who you are, well, then be better. Yeah. And if you need to be better, call Paul. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect segue. There we go. <laughs> Nicely played, Paul. No, but it's so true, though. It, it really is just like, but it's, such, it's so good to hear to be like, just be in the moment, chill, and just be present. And through this, this experience and experiment of this podcast and hearing for so many dads, it really is, again, how many People are like, it goes by so fast. You blink and boom, they're in high school and you lose those years of just playing in a driveway on the, you know, and with the water hose. So just really savor it and be present and chill out. The days seem super long sometimes, but the years are super fast. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. But I'm glad we could end it on the be chill. And relax. <laughs> it should be the, the Be Chill with Dads podcast. Right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, it, it, the show is on the B Network. So there you go. There's there's something that we can kind of play with. But Paul, you know, I, I feel like this is something too. I could just go on and on uh, have conversations with you because you are so wise uh, and you've been so meaningful to me in my own personal life. And so I can't thank you enough. So I do want to say that on the air to say thank you for um, your investment in me and the time, but also too, for your willingness to be open and transparent about this world of dads. So it's been very, very meaningful to me and it's been fun and just learning things about you and some great, great insight. Ah, thank you, man. No, it's been amazing. I, I'm humbled that you asked me to do this. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. And also, too, for all the listeners, we're going to have all of Paul's information in the show notes. So feel free to scroll down and, and click on his website and his social media just to get a, to know a little bit more about him. Not only just the amazing life that he leads and all the journeys that he gets to go and truly an original in Paul. So, Paul, again, thank you for your time. Thank you. We hope you enjoy this latest episode of Bear Crawl with Dads. From a brother, C.S. Lewis, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. <laughs>